listening to In Our Humble Opinion with me, Gary Henderson. And me, Ian Sturbridge. The theme for this series of episodes is cybersecurity, with today's episode focusing on ransomware and, and attacks on schools. Now, um, recently in the news, um, we've seen a number of, of attacks being reported against schools. So in the kind of late December, early January, we've saw um, in the BBC News, it reported 14 well, schools. That's right, yeah. So the BBC article, Gary, wasn't so much reporting about uh, very recent cyber events. The cyber events had actually taken a place over the past 12 months. But what was recent was the announcement that the data that was stolen by the criminal gang Vice Society was actually released on the dark web. And that, that was published recently. That over Christmas, we had um, a cyber incident uh, affecting a group of colleges in mid Wales. Uh, I think it was 28th of December, they had a cyber attack. And then finally, over Christmas, the Sun reported that at least 16 schools were hacked over the Christmas period. Um, 15 of them were run by a a single mat. And then one of them, I think, was an independent college. So the trend continues, doesn't it? In fact, every year it seems to get a bit worse. I mean, I think I think you dug up some stats for us on that, didn't you? Yeah, I picked up a couple of stats. Now, they are a little bit out of date because obviously it's it's from the, the, the kind of um, UK government cybersecurity breaches report. Now, that, that was the latest one for 2022 was published in July. Um, and it, it basically talked, you know, there was a bit of analysis about the impact on businesses with something like 39% of UK businesses reporting um, a, a, a cyber incident, an attack um, or an incident. Um, but then when you look at education, you know, it's 39% for businesses, 41% for primary school, so a bit higher. But then as you progress up the ages, it gets worse. So when you get to look at secondary schools, it's it's up to 70% further education. It's all the way up to 88% and higher education all the way up to kind of 92% of the organisations involved in the survey had reported an incident. And and as, as you said, it's it's funny, I went to a... A conference a few years ago, and it was an industry conference looking at cybersecurity, and um, uh, the the gentleman who was kind of hosting the overall event stood up and said, "Remember, a year ago I said things inside the cyber world in industry were getting worse. Um, I now stood up here a year later saying, I was I was right, and it did get worse. And for the year <laughs> ahead, I'm predicting it's going to get worse. Well, and I think I think your money's if, quite if safe. One thing that's consistent." I think your money's yeah. safe there. Well, I think if there's one thing, if there's one thing that's consistent, it is that that the situation is continually getting worse or, or getting you know more more dangerous and more serious, um, particularly within the education space. I mean, well, the I mean, they always say there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. I can't remember which famous person is attributed with that, uh, but I kind of stand by it now, even with government uh, statistics. I think the ones you were quoting, when I was looking at them, you had to kind of be cautious with your definition of what a breach was because, uh, or an attack. Say so they say breaches are attacks. Literally, a single malware infection they class as a cyber attack. So, as you and I both know, uh, having worked in the IT industry for many years and worked in education for a while, um, malware is a fairly common occurrence, and normally we're lucky enough for it to to not. Be to, to be impactful. To, we you know we clean it up, um, and we don't really have an issue with it. But the the 
the the big talking point that you know everyone all the newspapers love we all hate as it managers and it directors that makes our blood run cold is the word ransomware which you've already raised and the statistics there were interesting because they talked about um the kind of primary school secondary school business breakdown of ransomware and ransomware looked like 18 percent of ransomware was actually in the higher education i think and just seven percent in further education which is kind of the the areas where where you and i work i think also do you you may cover some primary as well do you or yeah we've, we've got a, a little bit of primary and you know i'd say it it, it it's um the statistics there were two percent so when you compare that with business you know businesses were reporting you know at four percent so primary schools half that rate um, it's interesting though I, you know I, and i think you you hit the nail on the head with the kind of um lie you know lies damn lies and statistics um when you look at fishing you know because fishing was another thing they, they explored in the stats and um, if I just pick um, secondary schools, I think it was 87% of secondary schools. Yeah. Um, and I think my, my first comment on that is that's going to be a lie. Surely it's 100%. Well, yeah. And I, I, I was about to say exactly the same because I would, I would be quite confident going to my local bookmakers and saying 100% of every school, every business has had at least one phishing email per year. And I think that would be a very, very safe bet. Um. So yeah, it, the, the the trouble with I mean, if you read those um, reports, it can uh, fill you with fear. Uh, and the, what I'd like to say is the purpose, hopefully, of us discussing this uh, is to share honest opinions and hopefully not fill our audience with fear per se. Uh, make them aware of things that we think are worth worrying about and perhaps kind of dampening the fire of populism uh, on certain things that we think are less impactful um so i mean one of the kind of key things that i always um and, and i suppose governors must sit there is why schools are are suddenly being attacked um and you know and what are the, what do the attackers kind of uh, expect to gain um, but also, we do need to consider what the the impact of their attack is. But let's talk, you know for a minute. Why do you think, Gary, that, that the schools are under attack so much at the minute? Well, I, I mean, you can explore a number of the, the reasons why cyber criminals do what they do. Um, but I, th- I think ultimately, one thing comes out, and that is you know money. Um, and if if you look at you know some of the 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 incidents that have hit schools. The, the reports are quite often paired with and and um, cyber criminals demanded X from the school to to um, you know provide them access to the encrypted data or to prevent the data being leaked online um, I also think I mean I, th- I think that's the that's the most obvious um, gain for the for the criminals but I also think there's the, the longer term gain it I always look at the kind of you know the data in a secondary school or an FE college, for example. You know the, these are these are the end data about individuals where there is they don't have much of a credit file or anything like that. Um, so therefore, from a, an identity fraud point of view, these are the perfect targets because I was about to say they um, they're almost like clean slates, aren't they? So you know six hundred clean slates. I mean, and let's not forget that um, schools we contain like any other business really sensitive information so 
for example, we contain payroll information about uh, employees. We contain medical information, possibly about students. Uh, we might contain special educational needs information about students. Um, HR files, which obviously contain any any relevant um, uh, kind of very sensitive personal information on employees. Uh, so uh, performance reviews of staff. You know, the, the, the list is endless, actually. And it's all really sensitive and really valuable um, data. And and as you said, it's about money. So it, to me, I'm kind of sitting there thinking, well, what we do, as you say, you can create um, marvelous uh, stuff to you create brand new identities to commit crimes with and fraud with. You've got the blackmail aspect now, which is so huge. I mean, ransomware, they, they, they go for the two pronged attack in the fact that obviously they try and make sure your data is locked away so you can't get to it, destroying all your backups. That's one approach. And the other approach, if that fails, if you have to have a good backup, which we can come to in a bit, um, the, the fact is they'll just blackmail you say, well, we got it anyway, so we're going to release it. And then you'll end up probably facing some kind of fine from the ICO. There is obviously reputational damage to to you know the date if you've lost the data people might look at your your establishment and think that that you you're, you're not taking enough steps to protect the data so there is a reputational risk obviously um yeah i, I that, but why schools and why the sudden increase in schools do you think because obviously like we you've just looked at some statistics and i think year on year it's in i think it, i was a stat i was reading possibly on Fortinet or um, someone's statistics of their, their kind of view of 2022. And I think they said education uh, was up 112% on last year. So that's like on a single year. So why, what do you think's made schools even more attractive? Well, I think the volumes of data are part of it. But, but I also think that it's the acknowledgement that schools are... Um, seen as softer targets um, because, you know, a school or a, any educational institution, um, one of its main focuses is going to be that of teaching and learning. And therefore, cyber security often comes or cyber resilience comes much, much further down the, the, the pecking order. Now, it's funny you should say that, right? Because I mean, I, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I because I, I was sat there myself thinking, why, why, why pick on us? Why are we the targets? Um, and and one of the things I was thinking of is small businesses will have the same issues as us, but obviously budgets. Everyone at the moment is talking about cost of living increase. Everyone's talking about budget impacts. Um, budgets. Schools don't have uh, unlimited budgets, and they definitely, um, in their previous in previous years, have not focused on heavily investing in cybersecurity because it's not really as you say it's outside of their primary focus their primary focus is investing in technology that delivers uh, educational improvement right that's where we're at um i think i think there is a combination of two things going on here i think covid made us all push hard and fast for a remote solution and not everyone put uh, security first. I think they put convenience of how do I get a parent with his with his pupil back at home online on a phone and get them to connect and teach them something and share some stuff with them. Uh, and they and I think they chose convenience over security. So that does that creates this automatic kind of shall we say a weaker security configuration than perhaps would be optimal. That's the first. And I think the thing is that's kind of we've come out of COVID. There's probably still some legacy of that kicking around. So remote access isn't locked down. That 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 is, I think, one of the major targets. And the second thing is that any kind of larger business does have the ability to 
um, have some kind of security, dedicated security function, and that that is available. I'm going to use the word available. We'll come back to that as well. But I'm going to, available stay 24 seven. I'm not not everyone has a security team running 24 seven, but most people have something available 24 seven. And the reason why I picked on that little statistic is um, I don't know if you've seen there was a report I was reading just last week it's um i think it's from jisk actually and yeah it was jisk's 2022 cybersecurity posture survey there's a mouthful that just rolls off the tongue so that was published in 7th of november so it's fairly recent um and there were some fascinating statistics on it and one of the ones that i kind of picked up on that I was really curious about. It says, it says here, well, the question is the availability of staff to respond 24-7. So they're not sort of saying, have you got a full SOC team? But what they are saying is, have you got someone who's available? And these statistics were the ones that really kind of made me stand out. 44% of respondents had no resource to cover 24-7. Now, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that they're running a SOC. That means they're not even on the end of a mobile phone, Right. So, so if, when you want to talk about the soft underbelly of, of education, if there are full, if there is, if forty four percent of the respondents in that survey haven't even got an IT manager they can they can contact outside of working hours of say eight till five thirty or eight till six if you're really lucky, then from 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 six pm to eight am every day and all weekend. Not only is no one looking, no one's contactable. So, so yeah, that's that's a soft underbelly, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's, it's, I must admit, I've, I've kind of commented in the past about, um, you know, when you get the kind of phishing emails and whatever, or the, particularly the well-designed ones, and they arrive at, you know, quarter, quarter to five on a day, or particularly they arrive at quarter to five on a yeah. Friday. Um, it makes, it just makes sense. I'm, I'm going to throw in one other thing, that, and I, I, I'm going to speculate on this. Um, another reason why, um, education might be um, in seeing increasing um, numbers of attacks, and and that is if you zoom out and kind of look at the kind of world as a whole, there were some notable, you know, in the world kind of attacks or ransomware particularly, where either the the a, a big educational body, you know, government or district or um, something like that, or their insurer actually paid out against ransomware. Now, I saw that happen a number of times in kind of 2020, 2021. Now, I, you, from a cyber criminal's point of view, actually seeing people pay out suggests that some people will pay out and therefore there's a profit to be made and therefore it's something to continue to have a look at. So I, I do wonder whether the, 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 the people that have paid out have actually encouraged this well, to continue yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny you should touch on insurance because what I mean, I mean, it's probably it's probably part of a slightly later or maybe even a different episode. Who knows conversation? But I'm with you in the fact that so so let's so we've got a restricted budget. So maybe my budget doesn't stretch to a team of however many guys. I think I worked it out that you would need just to have one pair of eyes staring at a screen 24 hours a day, 4.7 members of staff to, to cover the hours of, of, of a full working year, something along those lines. So uh, and seeing as we're not allowed to cut humans up when we employ them, I'm guessing we'd have to round it up to five. Um, so... Um, the, the fact of the matter is that's a, that's a lot of money. Five salaries is a lot of money. And that's without paying for software skills, et cetera, et cetera. So 
it may be cheaper for budgetary just to say, well, look, let's just buy the insurance. So if it all goes horribly wrong, uh, it's covered. It's covered by the insurance um, and we'll just pay out, which means that the cyber criminals don't necessarily have to target people with money. They just have to target people with insurance. If I know that's me being rather cynical, but but I honestly think um, it might be that approach. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I can buy into that. Um, I think there's also a risk in that, um, you know, we've got the insurance, so we'll be fine. But the insurance pays out once you've had an incident. So, yes, it's going to cover the financial impact. But what about the reputational yeah. impact? And what about the stress, oh, you know, stress well, yeah, levels yeah. and that mean, for IT teams? I mean, actually, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking there. I mean, God, this, this could roll into several episodes, actually, Gary. But anyway, um Yes, no, I'm I'm with you. I mean, what you're talking about there is what I always call secondary cost in the fact that there's there's a primary cost to an impact. Uh, you know, an attack has happened, and therefore there's the initial the initial impact and cost of dealing with it. But the secondary cost could be stress factors to your team, reputational damage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they could go on for months or even years. Even maybe the fine with the ICO could be a set is a secondary impact, not a primary impact. Um, GDPR. That's not. That's not, That's another. That's another podcast, right? Um, so, I mean, okay. So we've kind of we've we've bounced the ideas about why we think schools are a bit of a soft belly. I mean, the only other thing is, is that again, I did talk about limited budgets. One of the risks, I think, possibly for smaller schools where maybe they've got a very thin or non-existent IT team, is the fact that software that they're using may either be unpatched or out of date. Now, I mean. The trouble is, obviously, education is a very broad church, and there, there are from yeah. I've you know I used to live in a village in Wales once upon a time, and they had a very small school and a tiny IT budget. Um, how and and no IT team on site. The teachers were the IT team, so uh, you know if you were talking to them about cybersecurity, that it wasn't even a discussion. And yet, at the other end of it, you've got large mats with multiple thousands of students, where perhaps they approach it from a more enterprise centric um, view on security. Um, but you know, is it worth us just kind of discussing at least what we think are perhaps some of the more common attack approaches? And the, the trouble is, this again, this is why we call it in our opinions this podcast, in our humble opinions, because we're not experts. Uh, we talk with various people. I talk with people. You talk with people. We have our own personal experiences, but we're we're by no means leading authorities on any of this. We're simply we're just simply giving our opinions, right? <laughs> I, I, I exactly. And I, I, I think it's maybe an interesting uh, place to to or thing to look at. You know, is is that you know attack vectors and the, the approaches. I, I, there, there are lots and lots of options, but I just feel one particular attack approach win wins out hands down. Um, although there are two or three others that then fo- that follow up. And for me, the one that hands wins hands down is the ubiquitous phishing email. Uh. That for me, in terms of the attack method, that wins wins out hands down. Now you mentioned you know you mentioned there unpatched systems, and I think probably for me that comes in. As as number two, and I don't know whether 
in line with unpatched systems, you know, I, I, I start to think a bit more about some of the IoT stuff that's in school, you know, the oh. devices that are running, you know, Androids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, smart board. I, I, I've had some interesting discussions in, in recent times with smart, smart board, um, interactive whiteboard or interactive panel manufacturers where they've got an Android unit yeah, built into which, their And they their, won't update beyond a certain devices. version of, you know, they might, you might have a smart TV with jelly bean on it or something, you know. Um, well, exactly. You know, you might get, you tend to get like five years or something like that. Well, you're hoping, it's at least in education, you're certainly hoping that the device, and that's five years from the point it was manufactured, mm. not from the point you buy it. <laughs> but you know, we, we we wouldn't be buying devices like that, you know, display panels and things like that, and expecting them only to, only to last three or four years. We're hoping for the seven yeah, years yeah, and ten years. Um, but it's, so, so how exactly, does that work? And, and you're quite right. There's no way that they're going to support software for even close to that. Um, it's. I mean. I mean, would you would you agree with me? Would you agree with me in fishing? Well, and, so, well and I was just then, literally sitting or, here and chewing chewing the cud on that very thought and. The one, the one that I would probably add now, and again, this, the trouble. I don't know if you've noticed, right? I've actually tried phoning school, and this is going to sound really weird and stalkerish. I've tried phoning the IT managers of schools post ransomware attack to talk to them about what actually happened. Now, the reason I'm doing that is because. Uh, if there is a common attack vector that we see happening more often time and time again, then whilst it's not your sole protection, it does make sense to try and get some kind of uh, intelligence and kind of go, well, look, you know, have we, are we at least exposed to that vector? Because if it's a vector, let's say there's 10 ransomware attacks and I phone up all 10 of them and all 10 of them tell me how they got in and seven of them were the same way. It would make sense to at least look at the, that the majority attack vector, if not but all attack vectors, and and try and take them into consideration. Now, one of the things I have noticed, and I think it could be twofold, and this is again humble opinion only, guys, um, is that they're very reticent to talk about it. Now, I have two or three views as to why that is. One, no one likes to admit if they've done something stupid. I get that. I wouldn't want to do that either. Two. I suspect that if an insurance company is involved, there may be, or maybe even not, but I suspect there may be um, gagging orders, for want of a better description. Non-disclosure agreements, I suspect, come out pretty fast during a cyber attack to make sure nobody is leaking inappropriate information that may have reputational damage. That's what I honestly think is happening. And also, they may be worried about uh, passing information back to the cyber criminals to say, oh, everyone knows about this technique now, so let's not use that anymore because everyone's blocking that technique. So, But to me, that's security by obscurity. It doesn't stand. But any other, <laughs> just my opinion. Um, the no, I think I think that's I think that's a good one because it is a challenge, and I, I would agree with your your views there that insurers could be involved. There's I think that there's obviously you, you know where something has gone wrong, and even where it's not you know be, because of a misconfiguration or something like that, something's gone wrong because you know we we missed something. You don't really want to share that. Then there's the issue of, you know, you, you don't want to share the facts and then that goes into the press and then further does damage to the, did you realise that they did this? Um, and, you know, that side of things. But against that is, is what you're trying to achieve, which is the, the defence, you know, um, the 
a, a collective defence uh, yeah. by shame. For me, and, you know, I, and it's I kind of stunned, right, um, that some organisation somewhere, whether it be the NCSC or the Department of Education, or whether it be an independent security vendor, or whether it be someone like the ANME working with one of any of the any of the above, um, has like an anonymous um, data collection. So that we can say, look, there have been 150, NCSC, why can't they say, look, here are the 160 ransomware cases that we know of in the United Kingdom, and here are the vectors that they used. No schools, no names, just here are the vectors. Because I don't really care who it happened to, but I do care how it happened, if that makes sense. I, 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 it's interesting because it makes me think about another kind of question that's been in the back of my head um, recently, which is that you know, in, in, in the event of an incident, um, you know, that you, you might get action fraud involved, you might get the police involved, the NTSC involved, ICO. um, yeah, the ICO, um, and and some of those, their interest will be on you know evidence, you know, gathering evidence and and finding out how they got in and identifying who. Who who got it, and therefore they might be saying, right, you know, leave everything as it are, as it is, chain of evidence, etc. But at the same time, you've also got a school <laughs> that wants to be back up the and dilemma. running, and 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 there is, and and I think I, I do think in our in, in our discussions over the you know the the coming you know weeks and whatever, I think this will probably come up more off more and more often, which is this balance. Yes. You know, you've got the balance between evidence and and identifying who got in, how they got in, and all of that side, but balanced out against actually the need to get things back up and running and do that as quickly and seamlessly and, and as, don't safely forget, the insurance as possible. Want that as cheaply as possible. I know we shouldn't say it, but you know, <laughs> and as as I do, that is exactly what they're going to do. Um, I mean, well, that was that was definitely the case in some of the ones I read in the US. Was the, the the insurer were were in my humble opinion, were balancing it out and saying that it was cheaper to pay the ransomware demand than it was to mount a recovery yeah, without absolutely. pay. Um, and you know whether that has contributed to you know the increase in education, I'm, I I can't be you know sure that that's the well, case. I mean, again, this is kind of my prediction: is that if insurance is encouraging the act. I think in the fullness of time, and this is, again, purely a single opinion, so I haven't researched it or anything to back it up. It's just gut feeling to me that uh, eventually insurance will become an unsustainable model or there will be very, very specific requirements to get it. A bit like having an MOT for your car before you can buy car insurance. You're going to kind of have to have an MOT for your network before you can buy network insurance anyway that's that's i think we're all i think yeah but i I think we're already starting to see that the insurance market your cyber insurance market is getting more difficult there are less companies in there offering things and where the yeah they're what they're offering is more expensive and in order to get it you're having to jump through more hoops so i think we are seeing some of what you've described and yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I'm just kind of noticing bits of my end, but I, th- I think it's an inevitability. One of the, the one thing that I haven't mentioned, because you were talking about, you know, we're talking about, you said, oh, the phishing email is the classic way of getting in. Um, the one that we haven't mentioned is uh, the remote access. And okay, and so by remote access, I'll say VPNs, and I will say the infamous remote desktop open port on a firewall, um, um, neither of which 
protected with multi-factor authentication. So just the old good old username and password. Um, I think uh, I would be fascinated to see. The, this is why this is where I want to know the real truth. You see, and this is where I want to see the real statistics. But I should think that they will definitely. Um, be a high proportion because if even because what what uh i mean if you think about phishing it's either going to grab your credentials or it's going to maybe install a remote access trojan like some kind of backdoor um but either way the more common i would have thought would be some kind of subterfuge on credentials and as soon as you've got the credentials with that mfa you're you're, you're into office 365 you're into to vpns you're into remote desktop yeah, all of those become available if you don't have mfa so that is i to me i would probably say yeah phishing i would say number one but i would say number two uh mfa because it's all about remote access and then thirdly patching uh, i would those would probably be my top three i think yeah, I, th I think um, you know the, the remote access side of things, and especially during the pandemic, as people were probably you know making more things remotely accessible, and therefore leaving these things slightly insecure. The other one that just jumped to my mind, um, and it, I, I suppose it is really phishing to an extent, but it's business email ah, compromise, yeah. um, and and that the you know the the um, third party vendor, you know that the school uses for. Um, you know, um, some other stationary supplies or something like that, they get compromised, leading to an email into the school with an invoice, and there's your payload. Yeah. Um, and and even and even I've seen a few, I've seen a few kind of councils and and schools where the school or council has been compromised, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then that then led to emails being sent yeah. to loads of other schools. Well, the, the, what you're um, talking about, Gary, is is our absolute hardwired requirement of trust. Humans like to trust. We want to trust. We're, it's kind of bred into us to trust. Um, uh, and, uh, and some of the systems we build also use trust. And so it's a great thing to abuse. Uh, and which, that's what, which is why phishing is so wonderfully successful because we are very bad at being critical about our trust uh, and how we place our trust and the judgments we make for trust. Um, so I'm looking at the time, actually. One, I mean, if this is a, we're trying to kind of give a, a, an overall picture with regard to ransomware. Um, we've talked about some common vectors. The thing is, that the, the fact is there are a myriad of vectors that could be abused. And you and I could probably spend two days just talking about ways to open the front door of a, of, of a network. <laughs> but but the I mean, our listeners are probably sitting there thinking, OK, well, you've said a few things about how the attacks come. What can we do about it? Right. Um, so. I remember, I think it was Cyber 2021 where the NCSC did that video specifically for education on ransomware, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, I, the thing is, I, I remember because they they, they they broke it up into several sections, but I do remember vividly because I, I was sat there as an IT manager going, how do I protect myself? How do I protect myself? You know, as every other palpitating IT manager would be. Um, and they kind of came up they they came up with a slide towards the end of one of their presentations of basic tips. So I just thought I'd run them past you and see if you agreed with them. I think I think they're practically pretty good suggestions. And I think it was nine nine recommendations, should we say, right? So they said securing remote access. So that kind of uh, goes in line with what we were just discussing. Um, antivirus and and they call it HIDS, which is host based intrusion detection system for people who don't know what HIDS stands for. Um, so posh. 
posh antivirus, super antivirus, whatever you want to call it. Um, account management and auditing, they said, was important. Um, application whitelisting or allow listing, depending on what side of the coin you want to describe it. Use of privileged accounts. Now, that is something I had. I mean, I, I, I used to be an engineer on the road many, many years ago, and I went to one very small uh, school, and people were signing in using everyone had a domain admin account because whoever set it up, that was the only thing they knew how to make. And now there's no derogatory decision or pass judgment on anyone but it was just that's how it was but if you're if everyone's logging on as a domain admin and then they get compromised by a phishing email then it's just game over you've handed over the entire network right so so obviously management of your privileged accounts will definitely make a, a huge importance they talked about active directory security making sure active directory access to active directory is properly managed and the only people who should access it get access to it and that you put in defenses such as multi-factor authentication etc etc maybe even segregate your network a little bit um offline backups i mean we, we haven't even touched on backups really have we but offline backups were what they because at the end of the day if you can connect to it so can the attacker right <laughs> so therefore you either need yeah. to have uh, some kind of um uh, offline backup a uh, removable tape or the equivalent which uh the, the, what's the the word i'm looking for where um immutability is the current buzzword isn't it yeah i i, I would definitely i mean the offline backups i always found quite an interesting one because um in order to take the backup it's always going to be yeah, online. exactly so you know and and cyber criminals have we've seen you know evidence where cyber criminals have sat on the network in order to identify when the backups are being taken etc to screw with things you know to, to to damage them so i do think the the you more recent discussion towards immutable and immutable cloud based mm. backups i do think that is a positive step but i think one thing that I often see getting missed with the backup and it's got better recently i would say is the backups themselves are worth nothing. You need to be able to recover oh, yes, the things. Yes, yes. And and that is that I think often the bit that's missed that the people are people testing their backups. And that's not just to sh check that it works, but it's to check that the people that need to recover the backups when it counts know how to do it rather than having to figure yeah, it exactly. out. Exactly. And under pressure. When... Because uh, as you could imagine, yeah, there'll exactly. be extreme pressure to try and recover the data and recover systems. Uh, and so I mean that kind of ties into the last thing I think they recommended actually, which was business continuity. So that part of business continuity is practicing what you uh, well business recovery business continuity we could argue about the difference between business continuity and business yeah. recovery but nonetheless as you say practicing practicing your that your systems can do and that your staff have the skill to bring the stuff back up absolutely i mean that's that's um a no-brainer really isn't it and so the i mean bringing things back um I'd, I'd, I'm going to say, I, I mean, I'd, I agree with most of the points the NCSE made, um, but what I would also turn around and say is that user awareness, you know, and, and that side of things, you know, I because, and I think JISC said it well, JISC's strap line for their security conference, um, um, you know, in 2022 was defend as one. And I think that just sums it up quite nicely. And it sums up a couple of things we've said. It sums up that we could do with working together and sharing when things go wrong so that others can learn from it. But also, 
the defence is not down to just the IT team, you know, working in a school. Um, it's it's down to everybody, and and therefore the user awareness and making people know, you know, making sure all staff and students and parents and other users of school provision, um, of school school technology solutions, that they know what the risks are out there, and they they know what they should be doing to try and um you know, manage or prevent those risks. And they also know what to do in the event that something does go wrong and if they fall for the phishing email, etc. I think that's... that. I almost always put that user awareness kind of right at the top of I, my I list. Would, yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, and they didn't, they don't really, I think the, the, the NCSE in this particular video that they did were trying to come up with um, technical points of, of attack, technical points to improve defence. Um, but as you say, it could have been triggered. I mean, all of this is discussed, is based upon the fact that you've lost the network, right? You've lost the... They've gained access somehow and the rest of it's trying to limit the damage they could do once they're in. But you, people, I think people still, to this day, give up the border too easily. People say, oh, there's no boundary anymore because we have the cloud and we have on-prem and we have hybrid, so we've lost the boundary. I completely disagree. I completely disagree in the fact that there is a boundary in the cloud. There is still a boundary on-prem. It's just two boundaries. Is rather than one, that's all. So let's not give up the fight for the boundary. Let's do our best to still keep that secure. And as you say, the key to that, we've talked that human trust is our biggest failing. We like to trust everyone. So educating the end user to perhaps not be so trusting uh, and, and just teach them two or three. We don't want to turn every end user into like a cybersecurity professional, but what you want them to do is to have like three good tips for them to remember that might um, encourage them to behave in a less risky way. And the biggest thing of all, I, in my opinion, in my opinion, it should be like a strap line. It is a strap line for this podcast, really. Uh, so for me, I think a lot of IT departments are guilty of name and shame. Not mine personally, but I've met IT departments that regard the end user as, um, as a painful thing to have, rather than the whole reason they exist. We exist to support end users. That's it. Um, they're our customers. They're everything to us. They should be the most important people we deal with, our end users. And uh, I'm passionate about that, obviously. Um, but the the thing that I'm kind of thinking is that I think if you can create a positive cybersecurity culture, then people are not afraid to put their hands up because they're not going to be laughed at or told off. They're going to be thanked. You're going to say thank you because one of the things that they talked about um in the NCSE was network and system monitoring and, and auditing and all that. So, I mean, I would be amazed. We've already seen that, you know, 40% of schools who replied to the survey don't even have someone you can phone at night. I guarantee you, and 80% of those 40% do not have any security staff and they don't have anyone looking at any logs. They have just people keeping the system running. They're not there proactively threat hunting. They're not uh, proactively looking through security audit logs, trying to find... Um, behavior that might be different to normal behavior um so 
I think we have to be pragmatic. I always get the feeling that that people kind of talk about IT department and then automatically think that we've all got some kind of control panel, like um, like a scene from Minority Report with these gloves and three D screens, and we can rewind the future and rotate cameras three hundred and sixty degrees. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is that we're just getting on with our daily jobs, helping people function. We're not designed to look at security, and I think that actually is a change that the education is going to need to start actually having more dedicated training for existing staff or even dedicated security staff. I think that is also an inevitability, just my opinion, but an inevitability, I think, if we're ever going to deal with the issue of cybersecurity. But but if we just encourage um, everyone to be able to talk to us and give them the phone, here is the phone number on the wall, <laughs> ring this number 24 hours a day, we don't care. Um, and, and hopefully have someone answer it to the other end, um, because it's still going to be better than waking up at nine o'clock the next morning and finding your entire network's been ransomware overnight. You might have had a chance to actually get in there and interrupt the process before it had affected all of your systems, just by someone having the not being afraid to tell you that something a bit weird has happened to their computer, or that they've clicked on a link and they're not going to tell you because they're afraid that you might tell them off or they might be, you know, they might feel embarrassed. That's because you've got the wrong cybersecurity culture. Sorry, I've ranted there. Absolutely ranted, but there you go. Brilliant. I I think, I I mean, at at that point, I think we've we've touched on quite a few things. So I'm I'm going to sort of try and round this episode out, okay? So I'm I'm going to round it out with with my thoughts. You know, if if I was to summarise this and you know give a piece of advice, and, and I'm going to pick a couple of things from from what you've just said, because I think they they resonate with my thinking. Um, if I was you know trying to sum up my my view on how we how schools tackle this, it is that you use the word culture. It's developing that cyber culture where. It cyber is just the way we do things around here is the culture. And I also think it is developing that culture which is pragmatic and, and risk-based so that we won't always get it right. We will occasionally get it wrong. And the cyber criminals are forever forever pivoting and trying new at- attacks. And therefore, all we can do is everything we reasonably can and to manage that risks, given the context in each individual school, the resources it's got, etc. So, so that would be my um, kind of view to round this off. So, I'm, I'm going to ask you, you know, what, what would your to to round this episode off? What would your kind of one piece of advice be? Gosh, my single piece of advice. Okay, um, seeing as I've quoted the NCSC so much, one more one more bit of plagiarism from the NCSC's good resources. Uh, they have. Uh, a strap line, which is easy to remember, and I use it in my cybersecurity training, and I'm sure a lot of other schools do. If in doubt, call it out. That's my single piece of advice. If the if your PC is running a bit slow, or it's looking, or something's popped up on your screen you've never seen before, or an email has appeared that you don't really like the look of, don't be embarrassed. Call it out. That's it. If in doubt, call it out. Anything. That's that would be my single single piece of advice. And I think that would be a brilliant place to round things out. Thank you for for listening listening to In Our Humble Opinion. With me, Gary Henderson. And me, Ian Stubbridge.